Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fitness Philadelphia podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Herding, and I have the absolute pleasure of talking to Philadelphia's best sports medicine physicians, physical therapists, strength coaches, and personal trainers. These movement professionals are the leaders driving the healthcare revolution in the Philadelphia region. During each episode, we gain valuable insight into how these individuals are changing the game. Please stop by precisionperformancept.com backslash fitness with a PH Philadelphia to subscribe and learn more. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Rise Education Platform. RISE stands for Rehab Integrated into Sports Education. We offer solutions for business owners who want to bring more athletes into their practice, as well as clinicians to help them better understand how to integrate sports performance metrics into the rehab setting. Our 12-week master's class for clinicians offers solutions for clinicians to begin to implement these ideas right away. And our business mentorship helps business owners figure out the solutions that best suit their business's needs. Visit sportsrehabeducation.com for more information. Hello, everyone, and we're live. I'm Dr. John Herding here with George Zirkel today. What's going on, George? How are you? John, how are we doing? I'm, I'm good, man. It's, it's my pleasure once again to have one of the what I consider um, top movement professionals in the area, um, the Philadelphia area on. Um, and George, rather than myself, I say it every time, rather than myself give the bio, you're going to give a better bio of who you are, what you do than I do. Um, so let's just get right into it and let the people know um, who you are, what you're doing, what makes you unique, and kind of how you got into the space of doing what you're doing now. Sure. So you know, my current role, uh, I am the director of pitching at Ascent Athlete. So I work with anywhere from youth, high school, college, pro, big league arms um, to help them you know, reach their goals as a pitcher. That's kind of the, the short version of what my job is um, and what I'm doing. I would say, you know, to give some, a little bit of backstory, like I grew up playing baseball, uh, wasn't a very good baseball player, but I always loved it and I always kept playing. Uh, I went to Susquehanna University, a small school out in uh, central Pennsylvania. So I played there for four years. Um, while I was doing that, while I was in my undergrad, I started coaching travel baseball. So, you know, I kind of always knew that I wanted to stay involved in the game and coach, do these sorts of things uh, for a long, long term. And then after my sophomore year at Susquehanna, I tore my UCL. So, you know, going through that rehab process, uh, as I was going through it, I started to research and read and you know, dive into why did I get hurt? Why wasn't I very good to begin with? Um, and, you know, that kept that, that passion kept um kept growing and growing. And I decided to, um, after I was, after I graduated, I decided to, I wanted to make coaching my career. Uh, so I was still with the travel ball org that I had been coaching with the uh, New Jersey Niners out in, uh, there in central New Jersey. And, um, shortly after I accepted a job out in California doing player development out there. Uh, and then I was out there for about a year, came back and, um, a friend of mine had been working at MSI, Maple Zone Sports Institute, which is uh, which is now we're now Ascent Athlete. Uh, he'd been working. He's like, "Hey, man, do you want to come?" And you know, there's these pro guys that I'm working with. Do you want to come out and help me uh, help me work with them a little bit? And I said, "Sure." So 
started coming out to, to give him an extra set of hands. And, you know, one thing led to another. He got hired by the Astros. Uh, that's Ezra Bai. He's the he's currently the rehab guy, rehab pitching coach with the Astros now. Uh, still a good friend of mine. So he got hired by the Astros. And then I was approached to come on and try to build out this semi-private baseball training uh, model. So, you know, where and, and specifically on the pitching side, because that was something that I would say three plus years ago was definitely a, a need in the industry. Um, and there wasn't a place in the area that was servicing it. So we, uh, you know, that was three, like three and a half or a little less than three and a half years ago. And I've been here ever since, um, you know. Yeah. And it's been great to kind of see the journey of what you guys have developed there. Um, but I think what's, what's unique to you as well is you've continued to, um, further your education, not just in the pitching realm with doing all of your continuing education, um, in pitching, but you've also gotten this master's degree, um, in what, uh, my master's, I actually just completed my master's, uh, in motor learning and control, uh, which makes you complete. It makes you completely unique to the space, right? Yeah. Because I think you have you you know have the background as the baseball player, and so many people that are getting into kind of what you're doing, they they just like baseball, they love baseball, they love the technique of pitching and how to optimize pitching, and then they just buy all you know a hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment and track everything, and then try to base programs around that, right? And I think you have all of that at ascent, but then you also added this this master's degree, this motor learning master's degree, which gives you a little bit more insight into how the brain articulates information to create movement. Um, and how has that? How have you seen that kind of influence some of? Because what you're doing at ascent is creating individual individualized, not just for uh, throwing programs, but not just for pitchers, but individualized throwing programs to help people improve their velocity. Um, but then also you've been really helpful because we also have um, a clinic inside Ascent as Precision Performance. And you've been really helpful in our rehab programs where we've been able to coordinate return to throwing with measurable metrics and, you know, your expertise to make sure that these guys are getting optimal outcomes with their process. Yeah. So, so how um, have you seen your degree work into that and help out, help to improve what you're doing? Yeah. So to touch on that, my my undergrad degree was in economics um, and through the my own personal research process and how I was trying to learn and grow and develop as a coach, um, I really believed that you needed a full background and I didn't have that. And I was trying to sort of piece my way through learning on my own, but I knew I needed that formal education to make myself the best coach I could be. Yeah. Um, because you're right, like the only, there's no barrier to entry to be a baseball coach. You know, right. to be a PT, you have to go to, you have to get a doctorate. To be a baseball coach, you have to uh, say you want to coach baseball. <laughs> so, you know, that in a lot of senses is a really good thing for the industry because it allows, you know, it allowed me at age 18, 19 to coach. Uh, but on the flip side is, when there's no set standards and there's no uh, there's no call it like a, a, an education base, you have people all over the spectrum uh, on how they're trying to develop athletes. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was the, really the why I I went and pursued that education. Um, and, and then to say like you know that program was so valuable for to me because 
it allowed me to get a pretty wide base and a wide range of I'll call it intro level stuff. You know, we went pretty deep into some of the motor learning materials and some of the motor learning theory, but it was a it was, it was like a broader program that gave me gave me touch points in, in a lot of different areas. It was motor learning, motor development, biomechanics, some neuroscience. Um, I even took a couple courses in like group dynamics and, and things like that. So I was able to get, you know, I would say like a, a broad education in and then apply it all to coaching and apply it all to baseball. Which, which is amazing. I, I, I mean, I, I've talked to you about this before. I just think it's so great that you went on and did that and the perspective that that now gives you um, in dealing with your athletes and, um, and creating your programs, because like you said, like you're, you're seeing these guys from the adolescent 12, 13 year old who has dreams of playing high school, like making their high school varsity team to guys that are trying to make it from college to pro to guys that are pros trying to make it to the next level of a professional, you know, professional athlete. So you're seeing all these different um, you know, there's similarities in all the age groups, but there's also a lot of differences and to be able to navigate those differences of, um, how you're creating a training program and then how you're relating to each of these guys with like the group dynamic stuff that you took. Um, it has to be super useful that you went back and did that. Oh, it's, it's been invaluable. Yeah. Be because then what's unique about ascent too. So, um, we had talked to Rob Rubina earlier, um, about this, but you guys have created this semi-private training model, and this is where your group yeah. dynamics might come into it, where, um, can you describe kind of the model that you guys have and then get into a little bit, maybe the influence of how having like a 12 or 13 year old training next to a pro athlete influences wow. maybe the effectiveness of the, of the program and how yeah. you navigate the group dynamics and that, in a group like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have a semi-private training environment. So you could think of it like every single athlete that comes in, they have to start with an evaluation. During the eval, we get all their background info. Rob will assess their you know, range of motion, flexibility, speed, power, exercise technique. I'll take them through a throwing evaluation where I'm looking at their throwing form. Uh, and if they're a pitcher, getting them, having them throw a bullpen, get them on a, a Rapsodo, which is a, a piece of technology that measures how the ball spins. Um, and we'll get them on our Kronos high-speed camera. So you get um, video feedback and visual feedback on how the your hand is releasing the ball with all of your pitches. So um, so what we'll do from there is you, you break everything down. You say, hey, this is what we need to focus on in your program. Uh, and then the athletes will come in and they have a customized program in you know in their their uh, the customized lifting program customized throwing program and then they're training alongside other athletes uh so you know it's uh, it's not group training because you have the everyone has their own program and it's also not a one-on-one -on -one lesson where it's you know just the coach and and athlete in in the same session right so so yeah, so going back to what you said about having you know so many different ranges uh, of athletes in the building, uh, that that to me has been such a rewarding part of ascent and part of what we do, because yeah, you get to see these you know call it 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds, you know at times in the winter when we're really busy and guys are off from school, they'll be training alongside some of the pro guys. Uh -huh. 
some of the college guys and some of the older high school guys that have a, a higher training age. And I say you always have to be able to meet the demands of the athlete in front of you, right? So, you know, a 12-year-old is getting coached differently than a, than a 22-year-old. Um, but at the same time, being in that environment and seeing some of the, of the, the kids, the younger kids, they, they, can, they have access to and they're, they're exposed to some really in-depth stuff um, to help them and guide them through their journey and their process. Uh, and, and really, like, everyone being together is such a it's such a cool dynamic because of the you know the potential for learning and growth that happens organically through just a lot of people from different backgrounds and different ages and that different coaches being together. Absolutely, and I think it's really cool the culture you guys have created there. Um, you had forty pro baseball guys there this year, this past winter, yeah. maybe. Yeah, about that, and and all of them. Like they're never big timing any of the kids. Like if the, the, I've seen them joke back and forth with the kids and they form relationships with the kids where obviously a kid's looking up to them because maybe this, that's what the 13 year old strives to be. But the pros have been really nurturing and in, in supporting that kid and making the kid feel welcome and not um, nervous about being around somebody like that. Because I've been in those situations early on as an adolescent and you get a little bit nervous. You, you're like, wow, like that's so-and-so. And, um, but that you don't feel that at all in the facility, which is great. No, no. Um, you know, I mean, that's the thing that's great is the pros. Yeah. They're, they're getting their work in, but at the same time, they're able to interact with guys that are in high school and, and they, yeah, you're right. They form relationships with them and it's, it's, it is really a, it's really a special culture. Yeah. And I, I think with me not growing up in a baseball world, it's really helped me as these guys, because you'll see kids staying there for four hours a day. Yeah. Like it becomes yeah. their hangout spot in the, the summer when they're off of school because, you know, they're showing up they're They're talking to whomever their friends are coming with their friends. They're playing a little bit of ping pong. They're pitching or they're throwing, they're hitting, then they're working out. And, you know, it's really cool to see the community that's developed and where, um, it just, you know, everybody's welcoming and kids are just hanging out and they enjoy spending time there. And I think that's helping them get results because it becomes fun for them. It's not like quick in, quick out. You only have an hour before the next group comes in. Right. Yeah. When, uh, you know, it, it's four o'clock and, you know, you're throwing a bullpen and you're trying to you know, hit a PR and uh, the center fielder for the Houston Astros is upstairs cheering you on. Oh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like Chaz, Chaz, he's the man, you know, and that, and that's the stuff that it just happens, you know, yeah. and uh, uh, it's just so it's so surreal because, you know, there's like this oh, like big gap between, you know, uh, you know, people usually don't have access to professional athletes, mm-hmm. right? Young kids in the sport don't have access to people at the top. Um, and what we've been able to do is like, just get rid of that barrier. Mm-hmm. To an extent where it's like, oh, yeah, I know Chad. Or, oh, yeah, you know, Bruce Zimmerman's, throw, oh, yeah, you know, he throws mm-hmm. bullpens in here, right? And, you know, he showed me his changeup for it. You know, those types of, of things. It's, it's just, it's, it's a fun, you know, it's really a fun culture and a fun environment. Absolutely. Like, there's nothing more electric than when the pros are throwing a live session right before spring training. Yep. Like, the music's going, they're battling it out. 
Like that's, I feel like that's a diamond in the rough of the Philly area that nobody knows about, but everybody should experience at some point. Like you guys should have 500 people surrounding the field to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in pro live at bats, um, in the, in January and February is some of the most, uh, is like the highlight of the year. Yeah. And and that w- that's what makes us special too, because um, we haven't described the facility. Like we have, there is a full indoor baseball field where you can do the live at bats, but then there's a, a full hitting area, a full pitching throwing area with how many lanes do you have? So there's four bays in the hitting area. Yep, four tunnels, four four batting cages. Um, mm-hmm. I have four mounds. Yeah, we have a, a plyo wall for guys to throw their plyo balls into. We have a, a full field, um, and then we actually have nets on the field that can break off into cages. So we're, you know, we're, we're maximizing the space, able to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. There's not a better facility as far as space and what, what's offered in the area um, that I know of, but so tell me, how do you craft your, um, cause I know there's certain phil- philosophical differences in throwing programs or whatever. Tell us about um, like through your research and education, um, what the philosophical basis of how you're crafting your throwing programs that have seen you get such great results. Yeah, I would say that the the base, the foundation of it all is you're programming for the athlete in front of you. Mm-hmm. It's not a everyone gets a customized program that's tailored to them, their needs, their wants, their goals, and that changes depending on the level, right? And depending on their training history, you know. I think that the we use a lot of the plyo balls. Uh, so those are, you know, um, those are like overweight or underweight soft, um, soft balls that you can throw. And, you know, I, I like to use them as a, as a chance for guys to really work on their mechanics in, a, in an environment where that's the only thing they're trying to focus on is executing a, an exercise in a specific way, right? We also get some training effect ball sense that you're, the arm will be in external rotation for a longer period of time. So you're getting, you know, higher time under tension, but lower peak stress, right? So that's another way that we can train the arm. Um, and then you're also just getting like variety and you're, you're not throwing the same, you're not just throwing a five ounce ball. So you're getting some proprioceptive effects of teaching and teaching the body how to move and throw a, a one pound ball, a two pound ball, an eight ounce ball, a, a, a three ounce ball. So you're getting all these effects that can compound and then generate good results. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would say like uh, on, the, on the higher level side, on the pro side, right? There's a lot more nuance that goes into writing a throwing program for someone who has been throwing and, and training for call it, you know, 15 years or so, but you know, uh, when a 25 year old walks in, they know how they've had a level of success and a high level of success. Mm-hmm. So getting an understanding for what has made them successful and then how you can add to that success uh, is, is where you get the most effective programming. Done, you know? uh, it's not very rarely does a, an older athlete come in and I don't care. Just give me whatever you want. George, just write whatever. I'll do it. Right. Like that's not effective because that doesn't account for years and years and years of experience that has gotten the athlete to that level. Um, and that's where you build a lot of trust and a lot of buy in where it's like, hey, we're, we're going to collaborate on your program, uh, 
now for younger athletes, for high school guys and middle school guys that don't have that experience. Um, that's where I'll be more heavily, I'll, I'll more heavily like dictate what's going to go on. I'm going to write your program. And then if you have issues, you know, some kids uh, or some, you know, some high school, college guys, they don't want to throw overweighted balls. That's totally fine. Right. We just need to communicate so that if you have anxiety and you have, uh, if you have doubts about doing a certain thing, I need to know that as your coach. And then we need to just work around it. Uh, uh-huh. You don't need, there's a million different ways to, to get someone to, to throw harder. Right. It, it centers around throwing the tools you use to throw can be numerous and, and uh, there's no one way to do it. Yeah. And I agree. And, and you just mentioned something interesting there. You said there's a million different ways to get someone to throw harder. Um, but also there's great research that shows like it's the accumulation of volume for like a, maybe a major leaguer of why they might be tearing a UCL and need um, Tommy John surgery. Right. So yeah. is there the, to some level, um, like any coach out there can make someone throw harder sometimes very easily with like the most minimal program or whatever, like most basic program, but taking into account the macro accumulation of reps and how that then fits into prepping for a major league season, which is what at this point, 182 games, 162, 163 days, something like that. Yeah. Right. So there's a ton of volume there. Um, does that ever come into play when you're making a program for a pro athlete of, okay, you're going to have all of this volume coming. We need to make you, you know, make sure your arm care program is your arm is, is set. So you're healthy going into the season and we need to slowly ramp you up. So you're hitting peak velocity as you're entering spring training or whatever, but then we don't want you doing all of these reps or all of these different training strategies that, so that you're fatigued by mid season or, you know, you're breaking down because you're just, you've done too much in the off season. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. Interesting question. So I would say that for a pro guy, we're getting to, you know, by right. So the typical professional off season season's done around September Uh, guys will start rolling in late mid to late September, sometimes and then, Usually what what pitchers are going to do is they'll take, you know, two to four weeks off. I think the, it used to, the, the baseball world has shifted where not throw for three months. Um, and quickly real or over the last few years, especially I realized that that's not ideal when your job is to throw, Um, you need to keep stress on those tissues and and those muscles throughout the year so that you maintain some level of capacity. Um, but so, so guys will often take a couple of weeks off, you know, let's call it two to four weeks. And then their beginning stages, their on-ramping part of the program, they'll start by throwing three to four days a week. Then that bumps to five uh, and then it bumps to six. And while you're doing that, you know, you're increasing frequency, volume, and intensity. Those three variables, uh, I would say, like, depending on the athlete, right, you're increasing, but you're, you're, you're increasing all of those throughout the the months that you're training um and then most most of your your big year with the lockout guys went back late but usually they'll report late january and then they have spring training they have six six to eight weeks of spring training 
to build up their volume a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say when guys leave here, and, and your minor league guys will leave a little bit later, but when guys leave here, usually like a starting pitcher will throw an inning or two in live at-bats before they go, um, and then you know a bullpen throughout the week. And part of the programming and part of the, you know, the macro is that you're going to build up your volume and your intensity during spring training and during the early parts of the season. So that's part of something that I just say like, Hey, like the calendar takes care of itself mm -hmm. with that stuff. And we don't need guys throwing a ton. We don't want, we're not matching season in the winter as much. Okay. Nice. But then, and, and while we're talking about the pro athletes, like it's obviously really cool to, to train a pro athlete and, and then watch them perform on the field and all this money's on the line or whatever. But you guys really see as many pro athletes as you're seeing, you're seeing a ton more adolescent athletes, right? Yeah. And I yeah, know so, a lot. So go ahead. Yeah. Like how does that fit into like these kids that are playing two and three teams year round, but still need to get into train to get their lift, to get their throwing, but protecting their arms. So again, like they're not breaking down, but then they can, they can maintain if you're looking at the macro of a kid that wants to play in college and maybe has a chance at, you know, making the pro level, how are you managing them as a 13, 14, 15 year old when they're, they're being pulled in all these different directions because they're a decent player and the high school team wants them their you know, travel club wants them, but they have to maybe play for their local, the local team to play on the, like, how are you managing all that? Because I feel like they're almost very often getting more volume because of all the demands being placed on a decent player. Yeah. Um, you're hundred percent right. You know, your, your best kids and your best pitchers, they throw the most and mm -hmm. every team wants them to throw for them. So you have a lot of competing demands. The, the biggest thing I hang our hat on as a facility and as a group is that I think we do a phenomenal job of getting these kids better without injuring guys. Um, you know, as you, as we said before, there are a million different ways to get guys to throw harder. It is very difficult to get guys to throw harder and stay healthy um, and limiting injuries across the board with a large clientele. Um, so, you know, that's something that is the number one priority of any throwing program of any training program is your health. Um, and then the performance gains that come from that, are fantastic, uh, but should not be, you know, we're not um, aggressively training a 15 year old to throw harder because guess what? The kid's 15. Uh, and we need to keep the perspective of the, you're healthy and you're able to play and you're able to keep training. You're able to accumulate uh, that training volume and that training effect over time that a lot of the, the performance gains will take care of themselves. Um, so, you know, and, and in terms, so, so going back to what you asked about kids on different teams and playing all over the place is communicate with the athletes what they should be doing. Okay. So general guidelines is should probably only pitch for one team per season. You know, so if you're in the high school level, right, high school is a little bit different because by that time when they're in high school baseball, it's pretty much all they're doing is high school baseball, then travel baseball in the summer and, and usually in the fall as well. What we see is with guys that are younger, that 10, 11, 12, 13 range is when they're playing on a rec team, playing on a travel team, maybe playing on a middle school team as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
So in those situations, it's really important to communicate, hey, if you're throwing for X team, if you're pitching for your middle school team on a Thursday, you're not going to be expected to throw and pitch uh, for your for our tra- your travel ball team on, on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and setting guidelines, helping people enforce them are are, are, are paramount in making sure guys are, are staying healthy. You know, the guys that get hurt most often are the ones that they throw, they go from not pitching a lot to pitching so, so much. And they're pitching for this team. And this coach said that he wanted him to pitch on this weekend, but the middle school coach asked him or the high, the high school coach asked him to throw for this team. And, and then you get a, a kid or parents that want to please everyone mm-hmm. in the process they're 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 yeah, increasing the risk of injury so, so what advice would you give like a new parent coming up this is their first kid first realm of you know this kid's got some talent and he's playing on two or three teams they want to please everyone what kind of advice do you give to a new parent trying to like they understand it's something they need to manage but they're not quite sure how to approach it is there any advice you could give to someone like that Come in and talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because I, I mean, you would know better than I would, but it seems like coaches are better, more on top of it, and they're doing the pitch counts, and 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 parents are able to coordinate between coaches, and the coaches are a little bit more understanding. Is that fair? Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Okay. So there's been a shift in baseball over the last five to ten years or so that has really emphasized monitoring pitch counts, monitoring workload. Um, so that kids aren't getting injured or getting mm-hmm. injured less frequently. Um, you know, if you're a parent and you're not sure how to navigate those, those waters and those fields, uh, I'd say the easiest advice is pitch for one team. Um, and then the other biggest thing, probably the biggest thing is you have to be, uh, have to have open lines of communication with the athlete, son, mm-hmm. daughter, whoever that is. If they aren't feeling good, they shouldn't throw that day. Uh, that's, and, and, they have to be comfortable communicating that with parents and coaches mm-hmm. and and then stick by it, right? I think that's where, you know, oftentimes kids don't want to either they don't want to admit they're they're sore or they're hurt because they want to play. And the other side of that is they don't want to upset the authority figure, the parent, the coach, the their teammates. Um, so you have a lot of psychological factors that also are going to contribute to managing injury and managing workload. Mm. Um, so like the communication side is really important and, and then being okay with, you know, Hey, my arm doesn't feel good today. I know I was supposed to pitch. I know it's an important game, but I can't do it. People I, yeah. that throw, throw with soreness. Athletes that throw with soreness, the papers, one of the flight sick papers, um, they are like 36 times more likely to sustain a serious injury. And, and that's super important. And I think it, a lot of the onus goes on these authority figures to make sure they create a safe space for a player to be able to voice that opinion, right? Yeah. Because I think it can, uh, you know, we've been athletes and we've been in the situations where um, it's intimidating to go to a coach and say, I'm hurt and I can't play because of implications that we can all, you know, assume. But, I think it's imperative that as the authority figures, the parents, the coaches, that we create that safe space for a kid to be able to say that without fear of retribution of, yep. of anything, right? 
because I think, like you said, in that Fleischig, the Fleischig paper um, has put some numbers to it is the bottom line is you can't reach any level of performance or, you know, playing for your high school team or college or professionals if you can't even get on the field. Right. So, you know, the yeah, you have to make sure that staying on the field is imperative. And that's why I think, you know, as I've gotten older and of course I'm in the industry, so I'm a little bit biased, but I think spending the money for the professionals to guide you in the right direction is, is a great investment in um, just the future and making sure that you stay healthy and you reach optimal performance and you, you get to the levels that you want to be. And I think the things that you guys are instilling that we're all instilling, hopefully um, in these athletes is just lifelong habits that will carry them through both athletics and into the future as they enter the workforce and all that stuff, because we realize that, you know, you're not going to be able to perform at high levels in athletics forever. And there's life after baseball or whatever sport, but the habits that you create while participating in sport have lifelong implications for entering the workforce and performing at high levels there as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. So what, what, as you've, have you, as you've been working through this, have you found like, what, what is your main motivation that kind of keeps you going? Cause you work long hours. Like you're always, you're always, whether you're going to games, you're analyzing a kid's program. I know your phones, you give everybody your cell phone number and you're talking to them about college choices or whatever. Like what's your motivation that keeps you going and working these long 16 hour days and, and, um, I know a lot of what you do is very relationship driven, which is why you're going to these games and you're you're having these communications with them about college choices and stuff. And you've really become a role model to a lot of these kids, which is great. Um, what keeps you going? That's a great one, John. That's yeah. Delta one going off at all hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. You know, I love it. And my goal is to impact people's lives. Right. That's why I chose the profession of coaching. That's why I do what I do is because I get to feel like I'm having a really positive impact on someone's life, you know, especially for your, your high school age kids that oftentimes need a lot of guidance in the baseball space because they identify themselves as a baseball player and their whole sense of self is wrapped around baseball. Um, and so that's why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, you know, that's the, is I get to impact people's lives and, and I get to see their growth and see people go from, you know, the freshman in high school who wants to get way better to someone who's worked for three, four years, been there three years. So call it three years. Mm-hmm. And now they're, you know, you know, one of the best pitchers in the state. And, or you get to see the, the pro guy who came in and got drafted and was a non-prospect. So he's not considered someone who's going to make the major leagues mm-hmm. to seeing them grow and develop and get way better. And now they're going to be a big leaguer and make life-changing money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the ability to have really rewarding relationships and work with people on something and a part of their life that's so, so important is, uh, is, is what keeps me going. Absolutely. And I, I ain't stopping. I love it. And I love the the fact that you brought up like sense of self wrapped up in baseball, because that kind of brings it back together. And and some of the stuff we've been able to coordinate with, like when, when a kid blows out his UCL and needs Tommy John surgery and it's a nine month plus rehab, right? And they've kind of lost that little bit of sense of self and identity. Like 
we've been able to find ways and coordinate training so they're not losing the community that you've created in ascent in the baseball program and um being able to still have them hang around the people or like their friends still feel like they're part of the team still training because we found ways to help them train around their injury initially but then keep them involved when they get back toward a return to throwing and a throwing program right yeah so i think it's really important that that's that doesn't get lost in the fold of the psychology of the training the psychology of the injury and the return to to play and um, I think that's really important, especially with an adolescent kid who's dealing with all the other crap that's going on in their life and transition period, you know? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I say that the most important part of my job and my role is the rehab guys. Hmm. Uh, you know, my TJ rehab, my Tommy John rehab didn't go well and I didn't have the support system in place to help me through what was a really tough time for me. So, you know, that's part of my mission is to be that support system and be able to provide a lot of guidance for people that are going through a really challenging time. You know, when you've played baseball your entire life and you're 17, 18, 22 years old and you get a surgery, uh, you know, whether it's a, a Tommy John, which is yeah, a nine to 12 month recovery or, or labrum, which is if you're lucky, if you, we had a, if you're lucky 10, but 18 months, mm-hmm. you know, those labrums are, are really tr- challenging. So to be able to provide, you know, support, but then also like really quality, good programming on top of that can be, is it, just so important. Right. And there's not a lot of that in mm-hmm. baseball. There's not a lot of that in, you know, I think in physical therapy too, mm-hmm. where you, um, you're able to, you know, you're able to be there for someone in a challenging time when they have really large uh, goals that they want to achieve. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it speaks to, to as, as, you know, some professional advices, if you're out there as a skill coach, a performance coach, a physical therapist, chiro, like whomever, like surround yourself with quality professionals that complement your services so you can support the athlete in the best way possible. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, and when, same, when, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, when, look, when you have, if you're an injured baseball player, come and talk to me, come and talk to John. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, especially post-op guys, like, to be there and say, oh, yeah, you know, when you're going through your beginning throwing things and you feel something in your arm, um, to have the coach there that says, oh, you know, I've done a dozen TJ rehabs or I've done, a, you know, this many return to throws, you're fine. This is normal to have some discomfort and some, uh, you know, a little setback or whatever it is, right? So just have someone who, a professional with you to guide you along that process is invaluable for easing the anxieties that are going to come from, um, from a rehab program. Absolutely. So as the consumer too, and um, this goes for, you know, we've been talking a lot about arm injuries because you're working a baseball specific um, facility, but any injury for an athlete, like make sure as a consumer, you're finding the professionals that have a network of people that can make sure all the needs are taken care of. And you're not just another number showing up for an hour session here and there, but it's be a coordinated effort to make sure you're getting the optimal outcomes. You guys are the best with rehabs. I appreciate it. Thank you. We have, I mean, just recently, like in the last, we had a, a labrum 
that worked with, with Troy heavily, and he came back to to play and, and Nick Paragini, mm-hmm. um, but who came back ten and a half months post op and yeah. played in the game. Labors don't do that. Uh, we have another one who's a couple months who's a month behind him who's doing well as well. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of TJs that are again ten and a half back to pre-performance levels uh and you know every rehab has lots of challenges Mm -hmm. but if you don't get the right coaching and the right physical therapy early on you're setting yourself up for for a way tougher time you know we have another labrum who you know athlete is x months post surgery and they're not lifting yet right Mm -hmm. and they're not being pushed in their rehab and you know at that same time if they were rehab with you guys it would be, you know, they would be, they would, they'd be further along. Um, I think there's a lot of like, you know, people get kind of comfortable doing what they're doing, and there's not always that like that push. And you know, it's worked in the past, so why try to change it? Mm-hmm. Mindset and like the the rehab protocols that were in place 15 years ago to rehab an arm are not the standard anymore. Right. You know, especially with 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 the with you know, the stuff that John, that you guys will do. And then the stuff that, uh, that we do on the throwing side, mm. the, those programs that were written 15, 20 years ago by the docs is not, not meeting the demands of the athlete mm. in front of you. I just, I just think as if you understand the healing process and where they are in that process, because as you're saying, these, these great timelines of someone back to, you know, performance levels, we're not putting them back quickly where they're set up for re-injury. No. We're making sure we're taking them through progressions where you're measuring the metrics as they're going back to throwing. We're dealing with some of the setbacks that are inevitable. Um, and we're using, um, especially you and your throwing programs, you're using objective measures to make sure that they're ready to go back to that level, right? We're not just putting them out there to say, Oh, you, you're feeling great. We're going to look awesome. If we get you back in 10 months, go out. We're, we're making sure it's appropriate because we don't want these kids to get hurt. Like we understand they don't want to be, in a rehab setting, they want to be out on the field performing, right? Because they have goals. Um, so we're not just returning them quickly very often. And not every athlete's like that. But when they're getting those good results of returning in 10 and a half months after a labrum, it's objectively measured and it's the appropriate thing to do. Right. But, yeah. You know, getting um, feedback from, you know, what we'll do on the throwing side is, you know, we have a, called a pulse sensor that it goes it attaches to the forearm and it measures arm speed and shoulder rotation and elbow torque mm-hmm. um, you get to track the progress of the arm over time in addition to monitoring volume and then you can monitor intensity with a radar gun mm-hmm. right this isn't to say that i don't have you know we don't have to your point we're not having people early on try to blow try to throw as hard as they can that takes months and months and months and months and months but to give the more objective feedback you can give someone in a rehab program, the better off and the clearer they're going to, the clearer they're going to, uh, to the clearer picture they're going to have on where they're at and where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I just, I, it, it's, it's great stuff, and it just speaks to going back to. There's always an appropriate way to train, right? Um, you just have to find the right people that'll train you appropriately. If that makes sense. Right. Um, because 
you know, there's great research on the crossover effect where if you have a right knee injury, you keep training your left leg, you maintain total body strength because, you know, the hormone response is systemic. It's not particular to just you training the left leg, right? Um, you just have to make sure you find the right professionals that understand the injury process, how that integrates with training. And then you can make, that's how you're getting these outcomes where these guys are returning more quickly than expected because they haven't lost the ton where the first stage of them getting back into training is just recouping what they had lost over a couple months of being sedentary. Absolutely. Great. So what's next for you? You guys are doing some great stuff. I know you have some stuff in the works. What's next for, for George? Yeah. So I would say, you know, as my role, as I increase what I'm doing on, on for my role, it's my main objective is to try to develop materials and educational resources to give to coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have them in the works for what I've used to train interns and staff underneath me, but working on getting that to a central site um, and making that a product that can be available to you know, parents, other coaches, and have a, have a wider reach so that those coaches can instill some of the stuff that we're doing here to their population and their athletes. Mm-hmm. That's great. I love it. All right. So I finished all of these with final five quick fire questions just to give everybody a little bit more insight into who George Zirkel is. You ready? Shoot. You, you seem a little bit nervous about this, George. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. What, is, what would be your walkout song? I don't know. Did you have one in college? No, no. I was a D3 player. <laughs> I was the mom. And they don't give you any song. Uh, I'd probably go with an Eminem song. I don't know which one. That was my probably favorite rapper growing up. Okay. Lose Yourself's the classic. Yeah, that's a classic. I'd probably go with that. All right. What, what's your favorite exercise? Bench press. Really? Not, not bicep, not curls, curls for the Uh, girls. Bicep, bicep curls, bench press. One A, one B. Love it. One food for the rest of your life. What would it be? Pizza. Any specific toppings? Um, I'm a hot sauce on my pizza guy. Ooh, we could go down yeah. that path. What what kind of hot sauce? Oh, Frank's. Frank's oh. Red Hot. Classic. Okay. Um, along those lines, what's your one guilty pleasure? Um, love. I love to eat my Nutella. <laughs> All right. Uh, you just go that. by the spoon? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't go wrong with Nutella. <laughs> You can't go wrong with Nutella. So good. Oh, yeah. Um, and then what's your favorite thing about the Philadelphia area? I love Delco. I love the people. That's love what it. I love. Yeah. Love it. And I guess we we kind of forgot to mention, I don't know if we mentioned this when Rob was on, but um, Ascent is in Garnet Valley yes. in Delco. I'm right on Delco. 322 off in the on Westchester exit on 95. So um, I guess you've come to to know and love Delco super well. Yes, sir. All right. I love it. All right, George. So where can people keep up with you? Um, how can they get best in contact with you if they want to train with you or they want to keep up to date on when you might be releasing some of this continued education stuff? What's the best way to kind of follow you and get in contact with you? Yeah, I would say Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm active on both. So username George underscore Zirkle. I think that's what it is on both. And 
email. Anyone can email me at any time with any questions. Gzirkle at ascentathlete.com. Yeah. Come. Follow me there. Excellent, George. I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you've done um, in kind of expanding my knowledge in the space and then how we've just been able to coordinate. It's been a, a great seamless effort in, in making sure that all of our athletes um, achieve optimal outcomes. So I appreciate you um, and thanks for hopping on today. Right on, John. Thank you. Hey, hold on a second. Don't leave yet. This is your host, Dr. John Herding, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fitness Philadelphia. If you did, I'm going to ask you to do three simple things. They take less than five minutes and they go such a long way. We really do appreciate it. Number one, please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to it. iTunes, Spotify, or whatever it may be. Number two, please leave us a favorable review. Number three, share it. Put it on social media, talk about it with your friends, send it in a text message, whatever you can do to share this episode because we put a lot of work into it and we want to make sure as many people are getting the value out of it as possible. And lastly, if you'd like to learn more, please go to precisionperformancept.com backslash Fitness Philadelphia. Thank you so much. This is Dr. John Herding. This is Fitness Philadelphia and have a great day.